Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Just what an incredible time of worship. And I don't know what your experience is or um, what you're accustomed to in worship, but just know that everything we do for our worship environment is to help you worship and to include you in worship. You know, we don't believe in coming up here putting on a show. We don't believe coming and performing for you. Um, everybody up here knows, and we believe that our job is to help you help you just sing praises to God. And I hope you were able to do that this morning. And even if you don't know some of the songs, you know, the words are right up there, aren't they? Sometimes we just go for it, and you'd be amazed at what God can do that if we just take those humble steps forward and start praising him, what he can then do on the inside uh, to us. But good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we start our brand new series, new four-week series called The Road to Easter. Um, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the key events surrounding the last week of the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at the literal roads and see the intentional choices that Jesus made on the way to the cross. Because what we're going to find is the journey and the roads he traveled on, well, they created this intersections, these U-turns, off-ramps, on-ramps, starting points, I mean, excuse me, turning points for our journey in this life. But in order for us Today's going to be a big overview, okay? In order for us to understand the last week of Jesus' life and to really make sense of the event we're going to look at this morning, we're going to have to start at the beginning. The very beginning. It's when we understand, and only when we understand, the story of this whole Bible, the whole Scripture, can we then make sense of what Jesus was doing, and we can find our place in God's redemptive history story. Now, to be honest, I can't say everything I want to say, and that's okay, right? But I'm going to focus on some key things, um, an overview, and highlight the overview, this, this main theme, this story that the scriptures teach us, okay? So bear with me, because we got, we got a lot to overview, okay? I'm serious. So in the beginning, God created what? Right? Everything. And what's so interesting about the creation story is that he created these seemingly different things. But when you take them and bring them together, they complement each other in just an amazing, unique way. For, for instance, dark and not a light. You take dark and light, put them together. The sun and the moon, you put them together. You have a what? A day, right? You have water and land. They couldn't be any more different, could they? You put them together, you have what? The earth, you get the point. So we have the land, the water, the fish, the birds, all of these things coming together to create these ecosystems and this amazing thing that God created, this beautiful creation. But the grand finale of it all was what? Right, humans, man, he created men and women. And he gave these two people, Adam and Eve, the task, and this is important, to manage the world on his behalf. They were created to rule 
under him and to manage the world on his behalf. So right from the beginning, we see God give humans a choice to obey him or disobey. And he tells them the consequences of their disobedience. He says, if you disobey, it will lead to death. And what we find out is this death was way more than a physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's a separation from this relationship God created us to have with him. And so you know the story. Rather than listening to God and obeying, they choose to listen to the serpent. They chose to set their own course and do things their own way. And in that process, they became usurpers. That means they took a position of power illegally. They took this position of the creator telling them what they're supposed to. They said, you know what? We're going to do it our own way. So they decided they wanted to be in charge. They were to rule under God, but chose to do things their own way. The Bible calls this sin. And that is the foundation of all sin usurping, doing it, taking this power and this rule, saying, I'm going to do it my way. I don't have to listen to anybody. And so people started living as if they were uncreated and unaccountable to anyone. You ever lived that way before? Before you answer that, think back to teenage years. Right. And sadly, all descendants of Adam and Eve followed this pattern. We want to rule. We want to be in charge. We don't want to be God's managers. In fact, we want to be gods and goddesses ourselves. Isn't that true? We want to do it our way. And then we see God make these series of choices through his grace and his love to redeem mankind. God chose to make a covenant, this special type of relationship with a man named Abraham. And he told him he would bless his descendants and, in fact, the entire world through his family line. And although they didn't get it right all the time, we see the family flourished because they were God's chosen people, Israel. Generations later, they found themselves under oppression, uh, under oppression in Egypt, and they were slaves. God chose to rescue his people through Moses. And this would mark an important time in the nation's history, one they would continue to look back on, that God redeemed them from slavery, brought them out of that, and created a new, different nation. And he told them that he would bless them if they followed his laws. He renewed the covenant and gave them these commandments. How many of them do we summarize them with? Ten. You guys know the story already. I tell you what, right. Gave them ten commandments that sum up everything else, right? Ted, you got to follow these. And if you do this, you will be blessed. If you don't do it, you will be cursed. There's always been a choice here. We follow and obey, or we choose to do things our own way. There's always been a choice. They were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, they were going to be God's representatives once again to the earth. They were to be different. But like the rest of us, they looked at their neighboring nations and said, we want what they have. They said, we want a king like all other nations. They said, Lord, that's our problem. I'm making this part up. I don't know if this is what they said. This is what I think. Lord, our problem is we don't have an amazing king like everybody else. If we had a great king, that would fix it all. 
You see, they were operating as a theocracy where the prophets ruled on behalf of God. There was no king. God was in charge. God warned them that if they got an earthly king, what would happen? And they wanted one anyways. And it's mysterious on why. But God allowed them to have a king. And while there were some good kings like David, uh, they were still broken people who didn't get it right and did things their own way. And throughout their history, the nation of Israel, you see this calling for them to be the people God created and called them to be. In fact, that's the calling on every human from the start of time, to be the people I've created you to be, to rule under me, to manage the world on my behalf. And throughout the nation of Israel with their king, sometimes they'd get it right, seemingly do a good job, but it never answered the big problem of sin because even the kings would participate in it and it would lead to devastation. When things would go well for the nation, they would drift from God because isn't that true? When life's going good, you're like, ah, I'm not that really worried about it. Things are going great. When life gets hard, what do you do? You pray like you've never prayed before. Right, Same story with them, and they had this repeating cycle. But what's interesting is Israel would start worshiping these false gods, and so God would take his hand of protection off of, him, off of them. He said, if you're going to worship those false gods, we're going to let those false gods protect you. When another nation would come and try to conquer them, God would say, well, pray to your false gods, see how that works out. Well, how do you think it'd work out if it's not real? It didn't work out so well at all, right? And they would get conquered by their nations, and then God, they would repent, God would rescue them, and we just see this cycle repeating and repeating and repeating. Scattered throughout their history, we see signs and prophecies that one day God would send this true leader to get it right. One day the Messiah, the chosen one, would come to lead them to be the people they're supposed to be. And in fact, true story, Jewish people are still waiting for this Messiah. That's the difference between Jewish person and Christian. We believe Jesus was that. 2,000 years ago, after a period of silence, the nation finds themselves under the Roman Empire. God moved once again, but it was different than they were ever expecting, different than what they thought was going to happen. He broke into history and sent his son. He sent Jesus to lead the people back to God. And we read about his miraculous birth announcement. They make this pretty clear when the angels start singing to the shepherds. It's found in Luke 2, verse 11. It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. But who is this Savior? This is important. We're going to come back to it. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, a cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest of heaven, and on earth peace to those, peace to those whom favor his rest. You say, well, Brian, I think you got the holidays mixed up. Easter's coming. This is a Christmas thing. You'll see why. We'll come back to it in a minute. But then throughout the Gospels, and the Gospels, listen, this is important. The Gospels are many biographies of the life of Jesus. We see the stories of Jesus living as the anointed one. The one living who gets Israel's calling correct. In fact, gets Adam's calling correct. He actually obeys and follows through and lives this sin, sinless life. 
And as we enter the story of the Gospels, we see that Jesus entered preaching and teaching, calling people back to God. He called them to repentance. That is, turn from the direction you're going and come follow me. We see him healing people, restoring people. We see him reaching out to the ones that everybody cast aside. He reached out to the last, the least, and the lost, showing them what love and mercy and grace truly looks like. We see many people, especially the religious leaders, flat out reject Jesus. They didn't like that Jesus was gaining popularity. He was gaining all the esteem of the people. And they sensed a power struggle was coming, and so they wanted him killed. And again, that's the common story throughout the scriptures. Humans don't want to be told what to do, even by God. And so this religious leaders had a massive problem with Jesus. But then we see others who recognize that Jesus is somebody a bit different. He's the Messiah, the one the scriptures have been talking about. In fact, he is God's son, the true representative, uh, representative of humans and God. This unique mixture that makes everything better. But they're confused. Because they thought they were going to get this military leader to wipe out Rome, wipe out their enemies like they've received in the past. What they were not expecting was a Messiah that was far more interested in your heart than who was ruling your nation. He was far more important than what was going on in here and your responsibility to God than what was going on out there in the world. It's as if he wasn't worried about authority and power for some reason. As if he wasn't confused about who was in charge. Jesus traveled around from town to town pronouncing there's a new kingdom. Through him, the rule of God was happening. And this walking around announcing a new kingdom and a new leader was extremely common back then. With no internet, no nightly news, when a new ruler came into power, people would go from town to town announcing, there's a new Caesar, or there's a new king, or here's what happened. And so Jesus and his band of disciples go around from town to town, and Jesus talks about this new kingdom, this new rule. And they were expecting a Messiah. But Jesus wasn't doing things right. One time they tried to force him to be king and he wouldn't have it. Other times he would reveal his true identity to the people, but he'd tell them, don't tell anyone. So they were confused. It's a mixture of messages. We see what he's doing. We see his power. We see this kingdom. We see all of this happening, but we can't tell, and he won't become king. I mean, what's going on? It's confusing. Even the people who follow him, it's extremely confusing about the expectations and what he has come to do. And with that, Jesus created massive amounts of conflicts. Conflict. With their Sunday school teachers and their preachers, he kept telling them to do things differently. He was healing people. The blind were seeing. People were being raised from the dead. So these mixtures of emotions. You're challenging all our leaders, Jesus, but you're not doing anything about it. 
You're telling all our Sunday schools and our preachers, the people we grew up with, that they're, what they're thinking isn't correct, but you won't you know, have this temple and you won't become in charge of them all. In fact, you won't be in charge of the nation. We got Rome here. Like, like Jesus, when are you going to stand up? Jesus, when are you going to do something to let the world know who you really are? But today is the day where he's going to do that. Today's the day where he's going to clear up all confusion for everyone. Today, the scene that we're going to jump into was the day the announcement was finally happening. Jesus is going to reveal himself as the true king in the holy city. Jesus would clear up any confusion, anything you weren't sure about. Today, he's going to fix that. And while they didn't understand it at the time, we're going to enter the story where the disciples and his followers are making preparations for this scripture, uh, this prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. If he's righteous and victorious, you'd expect him to have this massive horse and chariot. I would, right? You'd want something, the biggest horse you could find. But yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus knows this is what he's preparing for. So let's jump in the scene, see the story. Luke chapter 19, 28 through 30. It says, after telling this story, it's a parable, not what I just talked about, a parable about kings. Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Verse 31, he says, if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went out and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. Now this story is far more than Jesus getting an ancient Uber. He's fulfilling the prophecy of the humble king coming in to the holy city. Opposed to what we would picture this triumphal military leader, He's coming in very humbly, very different. And much has been made about this story. I mean, it's quite a bit of scripture just talking about a donkey. Much has been made about the prophecies and how it may have all worked out. Just my personal opinion, I think Jesus just had it prearranged. I think he knew the guy and he told the guy, hey, I'm going to get a donkey from you later on. The guy's like, okay, I'll have a donkey waiting for you. That like under-spiritualizes the moment, doesn't it? But like, what if that's all it is? Jesus knew the guy and he went to get their donkey. Either way, whether it was his foreknowledge or whether he talked to the guy in advance, either way, what we have to see is Jesus is preparing because he knows what he's about to do. He knows he needs to get this donkey. He knows he's setting to the holy city. He's being intentional. He's making his entry as the king. Make sense? Verse 35. So they brought... Uh, so they brought the colt to Jesus, and he threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, 
All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who come in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest heaven. So a few things to point out here to make the story come alive. First notice, these are his followers singing, blessed is the king. They know exactly what's going on. They're giving Jesus the praise and honor that he deserves, that they can't wait for him to announce because for three years he's, three years he's been quiet. So they are amped up. It's time. He's ready. He's going into Jerusalem. Praise be the king. Blessings on the king. But they're, they're quoting Psalm 1826. It says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But what did they add? You need to understand this. What do they add? What word did they put in there? Blessed is the king. I need you to understand they knew exactly what was happening. Because to us, it's like Jesus riding on a donkey. I get it. No, no, Jesus is announcing. I am the king. And they're giving him the royal treatment. They're spreading out their cloaks on the ground. They're giving him this red carpet entry. Matthew tells us they're putting palms on the road. And the second part of the verse where they're crying out, singing out, heaven and glory in the highest of heaven is the same song that the angels sung at the beginning of his birth announcement. So we see these themes coming back together that this is the moment, folks. The angels talked about it. We see the donkey here like he is the king riding in. Everything's happening right in front of them. But why? Why is Jesus allowing this when he hadn't allowed it before? Why is he allowing such a, uh, an event when he's always told them not to do things like this? Why is he making such a grand statement about being the king when he's going up against the most powerful empire who says they are in charge? He's making a direct statement against Rome, and that hasn't worked out for anybody so far. Why would Jesus finally be doing this? And we know the end of the story. This is the beginning of the end of his natural life. But you see, the answer is more than just Jesus dying on a cross, though it contains it. The answer is right here and now, Jesus is forcing a choice. Ambiguity is gone with the statement he is making. He's been preaching about this kingdom of God. He rides in now declaring that he is the king. And this is the moment where the entirety of scripture needs to come rushing together. All that stuff I spent a couple of minutes talking about that comes rushing together because they've all been pointing to this person. They've been pointing to this man that he is the second Adam, the one who actually gets it right. That he is the fulfillment and completion of the story of Israel. Like the whole purpose of them, he was that purpose and he is the purpose. He is the Savior who's leading this new exodus, not out of slavery from Egypt, but now out of slavery from sin. He is the Lord, the King from the line of David, the one Israel has been waiting on. Folks, what's happening right now is in this moment, we see God coming back to take the throne. He's coming, but he said, it's mine. I am the King. And it's not like we expect.
he comes back to declare his kingship and reign over the world. He comes back to take charge through Jesus. And they didn't get all this in the moment. It would take them years and years to think through this and look through the Old Testament and and write all this down, connect the scriptures together. But what we have to understand, there is no misunderstanding what's happening. The king is coming into town, the anointed one, very differently, but he is moving into the holy city because Jesus is forcing you and me. He's forcing a choice for all of us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, forces us to make a choice. The gospel is more than a story of Jesus dying for your sins on a cross, although it includes that. The gospel is the story of Jesus fulfilling the things that we could never get right. He's fulfilling the leadership issue, the sin issue. He's he's the only one to pull this off. That thing that human beings were given from the very beginning to rule under God to live sinless. We see God himself coming down, the God-man actually doing it to restore brokenness and all of that stuff we experience. You see, Jesus ushers in this new kingdom through his death and resurrection and then invites his followers to follow him as their king. You see, Jesus, as we looked at from the beginning, Jesus is the Lord and king who saves. And by his actions, declaring to be the king, he summons and declares you have to make a choice. This is exactly what we see doing in the religious leaders. They didn't miss it. Look what they say. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd saying, teacher, what's that word? You got to stop them. Rebuke your followers for saying things like that. You got to stop them. What are you doing? You're causing a commotion. A commotion. It wasn't just the followers who knew what was going on. It was the religious leader understood the moment of what Jesus was declaring. And again, no more ambiguity. No more wondering kind of what is he doing. He's making a grand statement and they want him to be shut down. Stop. And they had all sorts of good reasons on why they wanted to shut Jesus down. Probably some of the same reasons why you want to shut them down. But look what happens next. He replied, this is cool, look. If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Who says things like that? I thought a serpent talking was kind of weird. I think a rock singing might beat it. What do you think? He tells them, you can't stop what's happening. Creation, the rocks know what's happening. The God of the rocks, of creation, has come back to take charge. Not like you expect, but you can't stop it. He's forcing a choice. Verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, He began to cry. He began to weep. And I need you to let this sink into your heart and your soul and your head this morning. And if you aren't paying attention, if you're looking at cars on the internet, just just come back in for a minute. Listen. Jesus, in his triumphal entry, declaring to be the king, begins 
cry. You need to understand how he feels right now because what he's going to say next is going to be very difficult to take in because this is an emotionally charged event. These aren't tears of joy. They're not tears because of the cross. Because if I had to go to a cross, I'd cry too. How about you? It's not tears from that. What's it tears from? He says here. He says, how I wish today that all you people would understand the way to peace. This is right. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground. Crush you into the ground. Do you get what's going on there? And what? And your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because, why? Because, I mean, Jesus, why would, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Jesus cries because this nation is going to be judged. He's offering peace. He's offering salvation and restoration, but they are repeating the story from the beginning of time. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. This is my life, my way. I'll do things. My, I don't need you, God. We reject God and want to be little gods ourselves. We choose sin over God. In Israel, the religious leaders had all sorts of reasons, just like we do. Jesus was messing up their plans. He was messing up their power. They thought the way they would living would bring happiness, enjoyment, and fulfillment. They didn't want him messing with that. But Jesus knew the path you're on is headed for destruction. The life you're choosing to live won't turn out the way you think it will. He knew and told them about it. And we ask, well, why didn't they listen to him? The same reason why we don't listen to him. And we do things our own way. And we go and do our own thing. And we think he don't know what he's talking about. He's just God. How would God know? I mean, God doesn't know what I feel like. It's 2021. 22. Wow, I was off a year. I was off a year. I guess he does know what happened in 2021. And I'm not claiming to know how all this works. But I need to tell you what the text says. Even when it's difficult, it's my job to do that. Evidently, they had reached a point of no return. And again, I don't have all the answers for that, but that needs to, you need to think about that. They've reached a point where Jesus said, your destruction's coming. Judgment's coming. And there's a point in our lives, and we know this, that when we're playing with sin and we're, we're dealing with that stuff, there's a point of no return where the next option is nothing but havoc, isn't it? Where, where we go so far down this road that how it's going to turn out won't be for our good. Something like that's happening. But about 40 years later, this prophecy rang true. Israel revolted against Rome, and Rome crushed them. Scholars estimate about 600,000 people died when Rome whipped them. I don't know how to say it. Beat them. Rome smashed them, tore down the temple, and burned the cities. And that's in your history books. True story. Why? 
Because they did not recognize when God was coming to them. You see, we weren't made to rule. We weren't created to live independent from God. We were created to be God's image bearers for the world. That is why humans and humans alone can create so much devastation in this world because we use this, this being image bearers of God, this ability to create and imagine. We use it for destruction and we use it for sin. But as the rightful ruler, God is going to crush sin. He's going to judge those who refuse to submit to him. Those who refuse to his rightful kingship. And we say, well, Brian, God's God of love. Folks, just read your Bible. It's been in here this whole time. He is the creator. He is the rightful king. And power struggles have always been part of the human story. We see it right now. Back in the news, we see war happening. But it's always been a part of the story of humans. And folks, it's not going away because evil and sin are real. I know we live in a society today. It's like, ah, evil's not wrong. Sin's not bad. You can do what you want. Until we see things happen, we're like, yeah, but that shouldn't happen. Right? There's something inside all of us that know that kind of thing. And before we start pointing at everyone else, We have to understand the core issue for all of us. The issue is each one of us have our own power struggle against God. We want to be in charge. And if people rebel against God, well, why wouldn't they rebel against each other? And if people aren't faithful to God, why would they be faithful to each other? Why would we think that we could create morality and laws that people are going to honor when we reject the maker of the entire world? We're setting up something very scary here. Just read your Bible and read history. We'll never get to the place where nations are peaceful, loving, and kind. Have you ever seen that? It doesn't exist. We shouldn't be surprised by war. We shouldn't be surprised by evil. It's the story of humans. What we desire is a place called heaven. We desire the day that God will make it right. That longing we have for it to be right will happen one day because God will judge sin. He will hold us accountable. But he came to fix the sin issue for us all. And according to Jesus, there's no longer a question of who's in charge or who is the king. He's given you and me the opportunity to submit and trust him as Lord and king. Or we face the judgment because he is God and we are not. And what's important to understand, and when we hear this thing about judgment, we start getting on our feelings. But remember, Jesus is already in his feelings over judgment. What did he do when he knew about the judgment? What did he do? He cried. And he died. And he doesn't want it for anybody. But it's the choices we make. He weeps because he has paid the price for our sins. He weeps because he's delivered us from judgment and came to rescue us. But many people do what he's about to encounter in the city. They spit on him. They mock him. They reject him while the offer of salvation is right in front of them. 
And we know how the story ends. They try to stop him, the Jews in Rome, but it doesn't work. You see, the road to Jerusalem clears up any ambiguity you may have about who Jesus is and what he thought he was doing. And Jesus has forced you and me to choose. You either accept his declaration of Lord and King who saves by the death on the cross and offer forgiveness, or you reject his rule in your life. There's no other equation that's, that, that saves us from judgment. To be abundantly clear now, Jesus has never offered just to be your savior. That is a false understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus is the Lord, the king, who saves If all Jesus was saying is, I want you to go to heaven, I want to bless your life, you can do whatever you want, I'm just love, I don't care, just be happy, who would have killed him for that? Nobody. That's just self-centered nonsense we spew out. The problem is Jesus, he comes on the scene with the authority and the audacity to tell us what to do. To tell us what we need to do to repent and to believe because he came to establish his rightful rule as the king. And some of you, listen, this is important. Some of us have rejected Jesus We've rejected his kingship. We've rejected who he is. We're like, I'm not going to do what he's going to tell me to do. But yet somehow we think we're saved. It doesn't work that way. It never has. Israel was judged because they rejected God visiting. They killed him because they didn't want his leadership. If you have no interest in following Jesus, folks, you're not saved. Because that's what it is. We're saved because of who he is and what he's done, and he's offered it to all of us. But it's understanding that he is God. He is king. And some of us, some of you are orbiting Jesus. We're flirting with the idea of Jesus. We kind of want to be saved. I mean, we don't want to go to hell, that's for sure. But we really don't want to listen to him. And we're like flirting with him. We're like, we're trying to hang out, seeing what he's going to do. And we already know what he's done. He dies, gives us life up for you. He de- While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like he's demonstrated that for us. And some of us, we need to take a U-turn in our life. We need to stop traveling down this road, this road headed toward destruction. We need to make a quick U-turn right in the median, jump over everything. I don't care. Make this U-turn to follow Jesus. Because, folks, that's what repentance means. Change direction. I'm not headed down this path anymore. I'm headed to follow him. And Jesus invites you and invites me, invites us into a personal relationship with him as the Lord and the King and the Savior. And we have to get this straight, folks. He defines the terms. Why? Because he's God and we're not. Because we're creatures, not the creator. He defines how it all works. And he gets to do that. So we follow him, we submit to him, we surrender our lives to him as Lord and Savior. Because the story has always been from the very beginning that God created us to manage the world on his behalf. We were not to be made gods, we were made managers. 
The sin problem has always been rejecting him as the rightful ruler of this world. But Jesus has come. We see it in Adam and Israel over and over. It's the same problem. But Jesus has come and through his blood offered us forgiveness, redemption, and salvation by turning back to God. The same story. Turning back to God and receiving the covering of his grace and mercy in our lives. And what's so amazing, folks, is this king with some personal relationship with you. He's not some distant, uninvolved leader. He wants you to know him and depend upon him and come to him, and his spirit will then transform you. I'm almost done, so in closing, I want you to know this. Just like Jesus, all of us are on a journey. And many of you are on a path that's causing Jesus to weep. Your choices are absolutely breaking his heart. You're choosing to live independent from him. You're rejecting him. You're going your own way. And he knows what lies ahead with your sinful choices. And he's calling you to repent. We think that next job, that next relationship, that next person, like it's going to fix it, but it won't. Jesus is the answer to this. He will deal with that guilt and that shame and the fear. You're like, you feel that too? All of us do, folks. He will deal with that and lead us to his grace and his mercy. But what's abundantly clear through the life of Jesus is you and me, we have to make a choice. Do we submit to him? It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But it does mean we work towards and work out our salvation. That means we strive to have this relationship with our Lord and Savior. We learn what it means and what he has asked because he is king and we are not. And so Jesus forces a choice to submit to his ruling and leading in our lives or to reject. And I ask, what's your choice? Because nobody can make that for you. You can't inherit it. You can't buy it. It's freely offered. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we are reminded or perhaps told for the first time how Jesus clears up all ambiguity about who he thought he is and what he has come to do. Father, we admit that we are sinners in desperate need of your grace. We understand, Lord, we learn that all of us, all of us rebel against you. We're so thankful that you don't expect us to be perfect people because the perfect person died for us on that cross. And through your grace and through your mercy, you offer to save and redeem us. Father, I ask today that you make it clear to those who don't know you how they can change that. Father, we pray that those who need to repent, repent. And those maybe for the first time need to trust in you for salvation will take their next steps and talk with somebody about what that means. Father, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy. And we celebrate that you are the king. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.